Amen. <clears throat> isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Man, that's good, isn't it? If you have a Bible this morning, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to look at what is hopefully a very familiar passage to you as we look at verses 5, 6, and 7. You may not be a basketball fan. You may not ever watched a game of basketball in your entire life, but I'm going to go out on a limb to say that you've probably heard the name Michael Jordan. You've probably heard the name Michael Jordan, the, the arguably the greatest player to ever play the game. He, he was the most exciting player I think I've ever seen play the game in my entire life. He could glide through the air. He got this nickname Air Jordan because he could just glide through the air. He was acrobatic. He was intense. He was um, just at any moment, he could go off and have a ton of points and lead his team to victory. And Michael Jordan had great success in the NBA. He won six NBA championships. He was, he was just a fantastic player to watch. And because of that, you've probably heard of him. If you don't watch the, ba the NBA or basketball, you probably never heard the name Tim Duncan. You probably never heard the name Tim Duncan. But Tim Duncan, uh, he, in his own right, many people can argue that he was the best player at his position of all time. Uh, Michael Jordan had the cool nickname Air Jordan. Uh, Tim Duncan had the nickname the big fundamental. And what made Tim Duncan so good is that he did the basic things really well, and he did them consistently. Tim Duncan was a boring player to watch. The Spurs as a team were a boring team to watch. It's not something that you tune into because Tim Duncan's gonna take over the game. No, Tim Duncan was known for his footwork around the basket. He had a good uh, game around the rim. He had a, like an automatic 12 to 15 foot jump shot. And he just seemed to be in the right place at the right time. All those things are big snooze fest, all right? We're in it for the running, the dunking, the three-point shots. He didn't do any of that stuff. But night in and night out, he was consistent at the fundamentals, the basics of basketball, night in and night out. And my proposition to you this morning is that God is looking for a lot of Tim Duncans. He's looking for a lot of Christians who will do the basic things really well consistently. The basic things really well consistently. Uh, listen, you may not be Billy Graham. Right? You might not be some big shot in Christianity. That's not actually what God is looking for. God is looking for consistency. He's looking for you to do the fundamentals. And what we see here in the book of Proverbs is three fundamental truths. If you would work on these three fundamental truths, it would completely change your life. It would change your life. It would bring joy into your life. It would bring satisfaction into your life. It would bring fulfillment into your life. If you would work on just these three things. Now, there's more things. We did a series earlier this year called Foundations, where we looked at just tiny foundational truths. So there's lots of foundational truths. There's lots of fundamental truths. Um, but uh, there's three right here, and there's three right here, and we're going to look at them, okay? Let's look at our passage this morning, Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 5 and read the first 7. So read along with me in your copy of God's Word this morning. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and depart from evil. 
Do you want your life to change? Is life kind of rocky for you right now? Are you having like some down moments in your life? Well, I'm going to share with you three things this morning that if you would start working on these three things and start doing them consistently in your life, your life will change. The first thing I want you to see here is number one, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Look at verse five. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Uh, he's, what Solomon is saying is all of your being, everything that makes you you, trust in the Lord. Well, what does that word mean? What does it mean to trust? It means to cause, to rely on, to have faith, to be confident. Let me ask you this morning, are you confident in God? Are you confident in God or are you confident in yourself? And here's the big, here's the big juxtaposition that we see here in the, the passage. Trust in the Lord with your own heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. So it says, trust in God. Don't trust in you. But we have a really hard time with that, don't we? We trust in us. We trust in what we can see. We trust in our bank account. We trust in our job. We trust in our relationships. And what Solomon is saying is stop it. Stop trusting in yourself. Start trusting in the Lord. Now listen, you can't trust in the Lord without first having a relationship with Jesus. Okay, that's where this whole thing starts. You first have to have a relationship with Jesus, and having a relationship with Jesus is easy as A, B, C. A, B, C. First thing you do is you admit that you're a sinner. You admit that you're a sinner. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages, the penalty, the cost of sin is death. It's separation from God. And so here's the, here's the, the bad news. The bad news is that when we are born, we are separated from God because of our sin. But there is good news because that's where B comes in. B, you believe. What do you believe? You believe in Jesus. You believe that Jesus is God. You believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a brutal death on the cross, and that God the Father rose him from the dead, giving him the power, giving him the authority to connect you back to God by forgiveness. That's what you believe in. You believe in Jesus. And then see, you confess you confess your sin. You repent of your sin. It means you're following after sin. You do a 180 and you start pursuing after God. doesn't mean you'll be sinless. It will mean, though, that you sin less because you are pursuing after God, right? And so that's how you get to have a relationship with Jesus. And once you have a relationship with Jesus, then you begin to trust in the Lord. Why? Why should we trust in the Lord? and not trust in ourselves. Why? What's, what's the difference between God and me? Well, there's a lot of difference, right? There's a big difference. One, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. How do we know that? We know that because of the Bible that you hold in your hand, it tells us time and time and time and time and time again where God said he was going to do something, and guess what he did? He did it. That means that God is trustworthy. Think about the Bible. Think about God coming to Abram and saying, hey, leave here, go where I want you. He says to Abraham and Sarah, he says, hey, I'm going to give you a child. And guess what God did? He gave him a child. And then God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And guess what God does? He makes a nation out of them. They get stuck into slavery for, uh, for many years, and God raises up Moses, and he tells Moses, you're going to go and you're going to free my people. And what does Moses do? He goes and he frees the people. And then he goes to Joshua and says, Joshua, you're going to go and you're going to take this land and, you're, and the whole people of Israel are going to live in the land. And guess what happened? 
They conquered the land, and they went and lived in the land. And then the Old Testament prophets, guess what they all did? They said, hey, there's going to one day come a Messiah who is going to save the world from his sin. And what happened? Jesus came, praise the Lord, right? And then God said, hey, I'm going to build my church on this rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what did God do? Boom, he decided to make the church, and the gates of hell to this day have not prevailed against it. God is trustworthy. Guess what you're not? Trustworthy. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry to break it to you, but you're a sinner, and we all struggle with being trustworthy, but God does not struggle one day of any calendar year to struggle with trustworthiness. God is trustworthy. And you know what? God is good. God is good. God is good? All the time, right? All the time God is good. In fact, David says this in Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who what? Trusts in him. Woo, God is good. God is good. And he does good things and he has good plans and he is so much better than you or I could ever realize. And so guess what? We should put our trust in him because you're not good. You're not good. You're bad. You're a terrible, sinful human being. But God is ultimately good. And we should put our trust in the one who is good. I'm going to give you a big word, okay? File this away. You can use it to impress others later, all right? God is immutable. God is immutable. You say, that's a big word. What does that mean? It means that God cannot change. God cannot change. God was the same yesterday, today, and he'll be the same forevermore. In fact, God claims this himself in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I am the Lord. I do not change. God doesn't change. Guess who changes? Me. Go ask my wife. She's like, we've been married for three years. I don't know if that's the same guy, okay? I change. You change. We all change. God does not change. He is worthy of you placing your trust in him because he does not change. And guess what? God's got a plan. God's got a plan. Not only does he have a plan for you personally, but God has a cosmic, eternal plan that he is working uh, for all those who love him. Look at what it says in Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God's talking to Isaiah here. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know what God is telling Isaiah? He's saying, you've got a plan. That's great. Mine's so much better than yours. Mine is so much better than your plan. And guess what? All of us have plans. We all have plans. But guess what? God's plan is so much better than your plan. It's so much greater than your plan. God wants to use you to do incredible things for the kingdom, and you want to, I don't know, fill in the blank. You want to go do whatever else you want to do, right? But guess what? God's plan is better. So why should we trust in the Lord? We should trust in the Lord because of who he is. We trust the Lord for who he is and because he's got a plan in this whole world, and it's so much better than your plan. It's so much better than my plan. And guess what? We don't trust in ourselves. It says here in verse 5, and lean not on your own understanding. Guess why? Because that, that heart within you, it's deceitful. That heart at every turn is trying to trick you. Your feelings that well up within you, guess what they're trying to do? They're trying to get you off track. They're trying to get you off track from God's plan and God's purpose for your life. Jeremiah noticed this in Jeremiah uh, chapter 17, verse 9. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Your feelings that well up into you, they're lying to you. There is the truth, and that is God is truth. He is trustworthy. So don't lean on your own understanding. And remember who you are. You are a sinner. 
You are a sinner. Just because you have Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwelling within you doesn't mean that you no longer are a sinner. You are a sinner. And so that understanding is going to be tainted with your sinful flesh at all times. And it's not going to be stable for you to lean on. But guess who will be stable for you to lean on? The Lord. The Lord every time. And so listen, let me tell you something. If you would just every day start putting your faith and your trust in the Lord instead of yourself, it'll radically change your life. It will radically change your life if you would start trusting in the Lord and not leaning on everything that you know and everything that you trust. You say, well, well, how do I trust in the Lord? I'm glad you asked, because Solomon answers. It gets us to our second fundamental point. Our second fundamental point is that you acknowledge the Lord. Acknowledge the Lord. If you want to trust the Lord, you acknowledge the Lord. If you want your life to change, if you want to be blessed, if you want to have favor in your life, if you want to have God use you in a mighty way for his kingdom, well, you've got to acknowledge the Lord. That word acknowledge there, it means to accept someone to what is claimed. To know. It's to know. And it carries this idea of knowing intimately, personally. Do you know God? And you're like, oh, yeah, Josh, I know God. No, I'm talking about do you really know him? Do you really know him? Do you spend time with God? Do you spend uh, uh, moments in your day all throughout the week with God? Or do you come to church once a week and be like, I know God? And sure, you can know God that way. But listen, if you ate once a week, would you like that? Probably not, right? Uh, It ain't going to work that way. We need to know God. We need to know God. Well, so how do we know God? Well, God gave us the greatest gift he could ever give us other than Jesus, and that's the Bible. You and I have access to God's word. Technology makes that to where it fits in our pocket. We can take that sucker out whenever we want to, and we can look up and read and study anything that we want to. Listen, if your life is kind of on the rocks right now, if your life is kind of on a downward spiral right now, it might be because you're not spending any time in God's word. It might be. Uh, Because guess what? God wants you to spend time knowing him. He wants you to spend time pursuing him. He wants you to spend time in his word. And here's the thing. It's not just reading the Bible. And that's great. Listen, if you're going to start somewhere, just start reading the Bible, okay? God God can use that to change your life. I'm not saying he can't. But don't just let that be the end goal, right? Because we should also memorize the Bible. And I'm not saying the whole Bible. Okay, let's slow it down, right? I'm not telling you to memorize from, from cover to cover the Bible, although that would be impressive. But we should memorize verses. Are you going through something in your life right now? Are you dealing with depression and anxiety? Guess what? The Bible speaks to that. Guess what? There's some things, there's some verses in there that address, address that specifically that you could write them down and put them somewhere and start looking at that and memorizing that and putting that in your heart. Uh, are you struggling with your parenting? Guess what? The Bible speaks to that. Uh, And you can get some verses, and you can jot them down, and you can look at that every time you need to look at that. Are you struggling with your finances? The Bible talks a lot about, the Bible talks about more about finances than it does about heaven. Did you know that? So you can write down some verses, and guess what? You can be encouraged in your finances. Um, You know what happened? Jesus goes on this 40-day fast. You guys remember this? He goes on this 40-day fast, and then the sorry Satan sucker, he comes and finds him, and he gets him at his weakest moment, and he tempts him three times. How did Jesus rebuff the attacks of the devil? Through Scripture. Through scripture, he memorized and he quoted when the devil came to his door to tempt him of all kinds of different things. Guess what? You're going to need it. You're going to need the word of God hidden away in your heart. Memorize scripture. 
What else can you do? Well, you can meditate on scripture. And listen, I'm not talking about getting in some pose and lighting the incense and humming some sort of chant. That's not what I'm talking about here. Meditate, what I mean by that is you're thinking on it. It's one thing to read it, close the Bible, and then go about your day. And that's, you know, you got to start somewhere. That's, that's a good place to start. But what if you read it and then thought about it all day long? Like, kept going back to it. Like, okay, who is God? Who am I supposed to be? Is God calling me to do something? And you just kind of let that thing dwell in your mind. That's meditating on the Word of God. We should do that. You should meditate on the message on Sundays because what we do, if you're honest with yourself, is you hear the message, you go shake the pastor's hand, hey, great message, pastor, and then you never, that's it. Boom, it's out of your mind, right? Most of us, we're just, we're gone to lunch, we're on to our week, I'm on to work, and I couldn't remember what pastor preached on this past Sunday. I don't know what it was, right? And that's what happens to us, but we should meditate on it, we should think on it, we should dwell upon it, right? You should study the Bible. Studying the Bible is not just for pastors. It's for you as well. We should study the Bible. Find a passage and just break it down. Look at the word structure. Define the words that you don't understand. Get a commentary. Listen, there are great free available resources online. Uh, PreceptAustin.org. If you want to find that, you can come to me later. PreceptAustin.org. Huge amount of resources, commentaries, illustrations, all kinds of things, and it's all free, and it's all accessible wherever you go, on the web. It's great. You know what else you should do when you come to God's Word? You should take notes during church. I know this doesn't work for everyone, so if you're not taking notes, you've tried it, it just doesn't work for you, that's great. It works for me, right? It helps me to hone in. It helps me to focus in instead of my mind jumping into 18 different places at once, right? And then what happens is when I write it down, I actually remember more that because I wrote it down. And then what I do is I write down little questions to bother our pastor with throughout the week because I'm like, hey, this, is that what you meant there? What did you mean by this? Or I don't quite understand this. And I go back, and it's in my notes. And so when we meet on Wednesday, I can go back to my notes and say, hey, pastor, that wasn't really clear to me. Can you explain it? And he explains it to me. It's a great opportunity for you to take notes. Um, and so I encourage you to get into God's word, but you also got to spend time in prayer. You got to spend time in prayer. If your life is kind of petering out, if you're struggling in life, it might be because you're not in the word, but it might be because you're not spending enough time in prayer. You know, many of us, many of us don't even pray for our meals. <laughs> you know, you know, you just start eating. Uh, you know, invite prayer into your life. In every aspect of your life, when you get up, when you go to bed, when you eat your meals, when you're going through, I used to um, uh, work in retail, and so I, uh, one of my jobs was just to be go find customers, you know, to try to sell them stuff. And uh, when we were busy, I just end up walking around the store, you know, aimless. And uh, and what I do is I just say like little five second prayers, you know. God brings someone to my mind and pray for him real quick as I'm walking, and we go on. God doesn't need you don't need to sit down for an hour. I mean, that'd be great. You can do that. I encourage you to do that. But you don't have to sit for an hour and pray. A prayer can consist of 18 words. It can consist of three words. God, I need your help, right? Um, but we need to be a people that pray. This is why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Now, of course, Paul's not saying, you know, 24 hours a day. But he's saying, as you go throughout your day, be in a continual state of prayer. Be praying all throughout your day. Uh, when, when the devil comes to tempt you, pray and say, God, I know I'm being tempted. Give me a way out. Show me the way out. Give me the strength. Help me overcome. If we would pray more, we would know God more. If we would get in God's word more, we would know God more. And guess what's going to happen? If you know God more, guess what you're going to do? You're going to trust God more. If you know God more, you're going to trust God more. It's the same thing with your relationships. Look at your spouse. 
right? You first met them and you're like, I don't know about this person. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to work. And then you got to know them and then you got to know them and you got to know them and you built trust and you built a rapport. And now your trust is solid because you spent time working at the relationship. Same thing here. Acknowledge the Lord. And I want you to see here, uh, we get this great promise. What happens? You acknowledge the Lord, and what does it say in verse 6? And he shall direct your paths. You know, uh, I used to work as a, a youth pastor, and I'd get these seniors that come up to me, and they say, Pastor Josh, like, I don't know what I, I'm going to do with my life. I don't know, like, where I should go to college or what I should study, or I don't even know what I'm going to do. I just, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen next. And what they're looking for is they're looking for that like weird verse in Habakkuk somewhere that says, okay, John, you're going to go to school at the University of Florida, and you're going to major in engineering, and you're going to get married at 23. Guess what? That verse doesn't exist. <laughs> that verse isn't in there. There's no verse for you specifically to lay out your life for you. So how do we know what to do? How do we know the path to take? How do we, how do we know where God wants us in life? we got to know who God is. If you know who God is, guess what he's going to do? He's going to direct your path. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. But you got to know God. If you're going up against a situation right now where you're like, I don't know what to do in life, stop doing the math. Stop looking at the bank account. Stop doing the, the pros and cons list and get to know God. Put your work in with God and let God lead you and guide you. Because guess what? He's going to do it. God's done that in our church. Man, has God not done that in our church? He's led us. He's guided us. And we don't understand what, what he's doing all the time and where he's guiding us all the time, but we know that he is. We know that he's moving us where he wants to move us, and it's such a great thing. So you want your life to change? You want your life to be radically different? You want to be used by God to do great things? We're going to have to trust in the Lord, and you're going to have to acknowledge the Lord. You're going to have to know who God is. But lastly, this morning, what I want you to see is that you're going to have to fear the Lord. Look what it says here. In verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That word fear means to regard with feelings of respect, to consider uh, exalted, to be in awe of. You're like, Josh, I, I still don't get it. That's okay. I'm going to explain it to you, okay? The fear of the Lord is like this. Um, if you had a good dad growing up, not everyone in here had a great dad growing up, but if you had a good dad growing up, you knew, you knew at, a, at, a, at a young age he set the rules of the house right? He was the rule bringer, and you were the rule follower. And you knew if you stepped over the line and didn't follow the rules, correction would come. And you didn't want correction to come. So you tried your best to follow the rules. But like all of us, you crossed the line, and correction came. And I don't know what form that was for you, but for me, that was a belt. And that was not very fun for me. And, I, and now being a dad, I can see it probably wasn't very fun for my dad right? Um, that's fear. It's saying that I have a great deal of respect for my dad because of who he is. He's the rule maker. He's the one who has power over my life. At, at six years old, guess who I can't take out? My dad. <laughs> I just can't. I couldn't do it. He had power, and he had the ability to exercise correction. That's who God is. God is the rule setter. I know you want to set your own rules, I know you want life to work your way, but guess what? That's not how it works. God set the rules. God set the rules, and God is all-powerful, and he can bring correction in your life. And that word correction is for those of you who know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, he brings judgment. And none of us want any of those things. But as Christians here in America, what do we do? 
We find the line. I'm going to get as close to that line as I possibly can get, right? And I fear God because I ain't going to cross it, but I want to be really cozy with this line, right? Instead, though, what does it say? Depart from evil. It says don't get close to the line. Get away from the line. Move back from the line. Don't cozy up to it. we got to fear God. Fear, fearing the Lord really, really boils down to understanding who you are and understanding who God is. That's where the fear of the Lord starts. It, it, it says, I am limited. I do not have control. God is unlimited, and he has full control. That's where the fear of the Lord starts. Understanding who you are. I am a sinner. God is perfect. This is not my world. This is God's world. This is not my plan. This is God's plan. That's where the fear of the Lord starts, is right there understanding who you are, understanding who God is. Because listen, one of the main, actually I think you could argue that the main characteristic of God is God's holiness. God's holiness. And you, you're like, all right, Pastor Ash, you lost me. Again, I don't know what that means. Holiness means set apart. It means that God is in a category all by himself. There is no one like God. You are not like God. And you would say, you would say, you're here at church, you're good Christian people. You would say, well, of course I'm not like God. Well, then act like it. Because a lot of times we act like we are God. I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to do this with my resources. I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to go have this job. I'm going to go to this church. And what did we do? We didn't ask God about any of that stuff. And what we, what we were saying, not with our lips, because we would never say it with our lips, but with our thoughts and with our actions, what we're saying is, I'm God. You're not God. God is separate. He's in a category all by himself. Go read Isaiah chapter 6. Go read Revelation chapter 4. God is sitting on his throne, and guess what the angels are doing all around him? Holy, holy, holy. You are set apart. You are set apart. You are set apart. Is that, is that the condition of your heart? God, you're set apart. You're set apart. I, I'm just a mere mortal man. You're set apart. That's, that's the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord also includes pursuing the correct type of wisdom. It's a great callback here, and it's a great wording here, because verse 7 starts out with, do not be wise in your own eyes. But that's, not really the, that's not really the subject. The subject here is fear the Lord. That's the subject, drawing in to fear the Lord. And so uh, the two things that, that, that cozy up next to fear the Lord are don't be wise in your own eyes, which is a callback to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, where Solomon writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we need to pursue the right type of wisdom. And guess what? The right type of wisdom is not your wisdom. Again, this, is, this ties great into verse 5, trusting in the Lord, not leaning on your own understanding. It's, it's trusting in the Lord, not leaning on your own wisdom. Listen, you are not wise. You need to go to God and get wisdom from God. And here's the great part. In James chapter 1, verse 5, I pray this all the time. You should memorize this verse and pray this verse. And, and verse 6, really. It is, if anyone lacks wisdom, me, I lack wisdom, let him ask of the Lord and he will give to you. But let him ask with faith. Let him ask trusting in the Lord. Oh, man, we need to ask God for wisdom, don't we? We need to pursue the right type of wisdom, not your own wisdom, not wisdom in your own eyes, but God's wisdom. And what do we need to do? It says depart from evil. We need to depart from evil. 
There are some friends you have to stop hanging out with because they are pursuing evil. And when they pursue evil, guess what you're going to do? You're going to pursue evil. I'm sorry. I know it's hard. They've been your friends for a long time. You don't want to end the relationship. But here's the deal. Either you end it and pursue God or you don't end it and you pursue evil and you reject God in your life and your life is going to be miserable. I'm sorry to tell you. It just is. There are some different things that we need to watch. There are some different things we need to listen to. There are different ways we need to orient our life so that we depart from evil and we pursue after Jesus. That's the whole point of Christianity. That's the whole point of a relationship with Jesus is to to pursue Christ and leave the world behind. We are to be separated from the world. And so many Christians, you couldn't tell the difference. Couldn't even tell the difference. We have got to depart from evil. You guys remember the story of Joseph? Joseph, man. Sorry, brothers. You guys think you have a bad with your siblings, right? Sorry, brothers. Sold into slavery, right? He shows up in Egypt, nothing, a slave to a guy named Potiphar. Joseph could have packed it in. He could have been depressed and anxious and thrown his whole life away. But what did he do? He said, I'm going to work for the Lord. I'm going to do the best I can in this situation and work for the Lord. And guess what he does? He starts working for God. And guess what God does? God blesses him. And and God doesn't just bless Joseph. God blesses Potiphar. Potiphar doesn't even know who God is. Potiphar is worshiping the idols of the the Egyptians. And God is blessing Potiphar, not because of Potiphar, but because of Joseph. So Joseph is doing the right thing, man. He's walking the straight and narrow. He's letting God direct his paths. So you would think life is going to be great for Joseph, right? Wrong. (laughs) Wrong. Because what happens? Potiphar's wife starts trying to cozy up to Joseph. You guys remember this? And she starts trying to make some advances on him, some some in-the-bedroom type advances, okay? And he says no. Praise God. And then she does it again, and he says no. And she does it again, and he says no. This is is pretty intense. This is getting pretty intense for Joseph right now. And then it's just the two of them in the house together. Joseph looks around. There's no one there. And now she's like grabbing onto him, trying to pull him into the bedroom. And what does Joseph do? Boom! Bolts out of the house. She keeps his cloak. I don't know what he's wearing, if he's wearing anything. And he's gone. He's gone. He physically ran away. And guess what happened? He got thrown in a jail. Listen. Listen, but if you know the story of Joseph... You know, he got out of jail. And you know, he sat, he was second in command of all of Egypt. And he was the instrument that God used to save his people. (laughs) Why? Because he trusted the Lord. He knew him, acknowledged him, and he feared the Lord. He said, I'm not going to sleep with you because I fear God. We need some Josephs. You need to be a Joseph. You need to flee from sin. The big fundamental, Tim Duncan, Mr. Consistency, the small things, he did them really well. I don't know if you ever felt like this before, but uh, maybe you looked in the mirror and you say, uh, gosh, man, you kind of kind of let yourself go there a little bit. Well, listen, I know you got some kids and you've been married, but man, maybe we need to you know, trim it up a little bit. Maybe we got to lose a couple pounds here, right? 
I don't know if you ever had that experience. That's me daily, you know? Um, so you're like, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to do something about it. I'm going to get a gym membership. And you get the gym membership, and you drop 40 pounds, right? Nope. <laughs> Man, worry, it's so easy. Can I get the 1099 plan to drop 40 pounds and just for having the plan, right? It's not how it works, is it? You got to go to the gym. You got to carve out time in your day in the busyness of life, and you got to drive there, and you got to go do some stretches. You got to do some cardio. Who loves cardio? <laughs> you got to go do some cardio. You got to lift some weights. And after a month, you've dropped 40 pounds, right? No, that's not how it works either, is it? Man, man, we're just striking out here, right? Just trying to lose a little bit of weight. You're like six months in, and you've dropped five pounds, and you're like real discouraged. <laughs> is this worth it? Right? But you hang in there, and you go for a year, and you've met your weight. You've met your limit. You've met your goal. Knees don't hurt as much anymore. Back is kind of loose and fit, right? You sleep a little bit better. Praise the Lord, right? And you're like, okay, this is good. I've met my goal, so now I can just stop. Nope. <laughs> nope, right? Because when you just stop, guess what happens? Those 40 pounds, they come back pretty quick, way quicker than they left. Isn't that right? So guess what you got to do? You got to keep going to the gym. You got to keep working it out, don't you? Hey, guess what? The Christian life's the same way. The Christian life is the exact same way. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to carve out time to spend with Jesus. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to do it daily. You know what? You're not going to see results after a week. You may. God may bless you. Praise the Lord, right? Probably not going to see results in a week. Maybe not in six months. Joseph was in prison for like seven years. Hopefully it doesn't take you that long. You're going to put the work in. You think Tim Duncan got to be the best player at his position by just showing up and shooting the ball? No. No, man. That guy, that guy ate, lived, and breathed basketball. He was in the gym in the offseason. He was, he was eating right in the offseason to get ready for the season. We need some Tim Duncans. We need some of you to have the nickname, The Big Fundamental. I'm going to pick a couple things, and I'm going to do them really well. I'm going to do them consistently. And here's the thing. It'll change your life. It'll absolutely change your life. Go find someone in this room who's done these things consistently, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you the same thing I'm telling you. It changed our life. Put God to the test. See what he does for you. Get serious about reading God's word. Get serious about praying. Get serious about getting your mind right. Fearing God, trusting in God. There's nothing to stop here. Oh, thank Check you, Siri. Is on your home Wi-Fi network. Thank you, Siri. Appreciate that. It's good wisdom. It's good wisdom. <clears throat> no. So, listen. You got to put the work in. You can't grow without putting the work in. You can't get better at your job without putting the work in. You can't get better in your marriage without putting the work in. You got to put the work in. Listen, I don't know where you are in your life right now. Maybe you've been putting the work in for many, many years, and you, got, you know you got that peace, you got that joy, you, you're fulfilled in life, you're content in life, uh, and that's great. Praise God. If, that, if that's you, in fact, if, you're, if you would raise your hand and say, man, I've been doing this for years, and God's been blessing me, and I know what you're talking about, and I echo what you're talking about, go find someone in this room that, that's not there and say, hey, man, can I call you once a week? Can I call you once a week and uh, make sure you're reading your Bible? <clears throat> go out on that limb. Help someone out. Pull a brother up. Pull a sister up, if that's you. 
But if you're like me and you're like most of us in here, you're probably struggling, right? You're probably not reading your Bible every day. That's a lot. Probably not praying every day because really who's got time for that? You're probably not thinking too much about the things of the Lord like on Thursday afternoon, you know? It's time to put the work in. Today. Let today be the day. Get your, get your gym membership today and start using it. Put it to work today. Don't leave here. Listen, this is what's going to happen. I promise you. You'll leave here today and you'll say, you know what? I want to do that. And then Monday will come and you'll be like, I kind of want to do that. And then Tuesday will come and, you, and you're just not going to do it. Start today. Get home, have lunch, and then get in God's word. Uh, tonight, Get your family around and gather them tonight and pray with them tonight. Because if you put it off tomorrow, you'll put it off for the next six months and you'll wonder, why is my life not changing? Put the work in. Let's pray this morning.